0: Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. I'm reading this morning from Mark eleven twelve 12 to 25. If you want to join us along, I'm reading from the NIV. It's uh, entitled this passage, Jesus curses a fig tree and clears the temple courts. So the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, If anyone says to this mountain, "Go, throw yourself into the sea," and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they will say, uh, what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins.
1: Now I recognize that. It's daylight saving, so some people may be a bit sleepy. so I actually bought sugar for audience participation. Uh, so today's going to be very different. I recognize that public holiday, daylight saving is going to be smaller number. So this is more teaching than preaching. And this is like right up my alley. If I could do my life again, I would be an Old Testament lecturer, not a pastor, but, but anyway, here we are. A very strange passage, Jesus cursing the fig tree. I have some quotes here. This is a commentator called T.W. Mason. At the beginning of the 20th century, he wrote, A tale of miraculous power wasted in service of ill temper. That was his view of Jesus cursing the fig tree. Or another guy, Bertram Russell, who in his book of Why I Am Not a Christian, he says this, he goes, It was not the right time of year for figs. And you really could not blame the tree. Now, have you ever read this passage and you go, what is going on here? I remember before starting Bible college, I certainly did. It's like, this is a weird, strange passage. And when I encountered weird, strange passages pre-Bible college, I just turned to the next chapter and just forget about it. But now I love the weird, strange passages. I'm like, what is God trying to teach us here? Now, in Mark's Gospel, Mark has this clever way of writing, which we call a sandwich. Now, in a sandwich, what's the most important part of the sandwich? The bread or the meat? The meat. So if you have a chicken sandwich, it's not chicken bread, it's chicken. That's the meat. Now, if you look here, this is also... You could call, if you want to learn a fancy word to use at dinner parties, a like chiasm. Chiasm. So, or a sandwich. I find sandwich easier to remember. Chiasm, like, good kai, Yep. So, a sandwich. So, the first part of the bread, Jesus curses the fig tree. Now, what's the second part of the bread? What's it say there? there oh, go. Well, that's, that's the meat. Now, what's the other part of the bread? The A2 the fig tree with us. Now do you see what I mean by sandwich? So this story is bracketed by the fig tree. So which means that this is all really important. And if the most important part of the sandwich is the meat, so what is the most important part of this narrative in Mark? Cleansing the temple. Okay perhaps Jesus isn't this ill-tempered, low-blood-sugared, angry moment of cursing a fig tree. Perhaps this has some sort of importance. And because this happens at the, the what we call the Holy Week, it also could be helpful to know what day some of this stuff happened. Now on the Sunday, which we know as Palm Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly. Here he is on the donkey in fulfillment of the prophet Zachariah, and he actually leaves from the Mount of Olives. Now keep that mountain in the back of your mind. It's very important. Leaves Bethany on the Mount of Olives, goes into the city and does something interesting. So he enters the temple. This is Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus enters the temple. Then he leaves. Okay, so then that's the Sunday. Then on the Monday, Jesus curses the fig tree and cleanses the temple. Then on the next day... Jesus' um, Jesus' disciples see on the Tuesday the withered fig tree. And Jesus tells them something also quite strange. If you have faith, you can say this mountain be cast into the sea. Okay? We sort of with it. We've got a sandwich. The meat is the cursing of the temple. The fig trees, c- cursing fig trees, the bread happens on these days. Okay? Now we have to go into the world of the Old Testament. To understand this, and an important mountain. Oops, I've gone a little bit too far. Well, that's all right. The Mount of Olives. Now, if you can see here on this map, there is the Mount of Olives there, and there is the temple. And the Mount of Olives it plays a significant, um, important role in the Bible. If you are an ancient society and your enemies are attacking you. How do you know when an invading army is coming? What do you need? You need height. You need a lookout. So the Mount of Olives was perfect for that. It's actually, it's 91 meters above the temple. And the Mount Zion is not the world's tallest mountain. So it's one of the highest points in Jerusalem. So it was important for looking out for armies when they're coming. Okay? Now, the Mount of Olives, it features a few times in the Bible, but the most oops, the most famous place, this click is very sensitive, there we go, the most famous place is the book of Zechariah. Now, who's read the book of Zechariah? Oh, look at that, more people than I thought. It's also another strange book, and in Zechariah chapter 14, chapter 14 is the last book of Zechariah, last chapter of Zechariah, I should say, and it has this sort of pattern about it. The The nations are surrounding Jerusalem, they're fighting. And Yahweh comes down and his feet land on the Mount of Olives and cause such a great impact. It causes this earthquake that splits the Mount of Olives. And people escape. But then it goes on to say after this escape, um, Yahweh actually comes into Jerusalem and the holy people with him. And then all these enemies are destroyed in judgments. all quite graphic language. But then the end of Zechariah ends with saying there's going to be no merchant in the city of Jerusalem. Okay, are you with me? So Zechariah 14, it's about the Mount of Olives. It's about God coming down and landing his feet on the Mount of Olives. And at the end of Zechariah, eventually all of Jerusalem will become holy. Are you still tracking with me? yes no okay we'll keep on going so all that background there we can finally start leading to mark chapter 11 so i'll reread it out again jesus entered jerusalem and went into the temple courts he looked around at everything but since it was already late he went out to Bethany with the twelve, that's on the Mount of Olives. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out to find out if it had um, any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples said, Heard him say it. Now, just reading that out of context, you can see why people get confused, can't you? You can see why people are like, oh, what's Jesus doing? Very, very strange. And the strange part is this word here. What does it say? Since he went out to find a fruit? Because it was not the season. How? There's a word that you may have known, heard in Greek, kairos. Have you heard that word before? There's a prison ministry called kairos. And kairos in Greek means time or season. But it's not a word that's used to describe the seasons of plants. It's a a word that has a theological meaning. Time as in the time has come. The kingdom has arrived. Now, figs play an important role in Judaism. Uh, figs are sometimes signs of a curse. So when God's judgment comes and Prophet Jeremiah and the Prophet Micah talk about this, uh, Jeremiah says about how you know there will be no grapes or figs on the trees. Micah says something similarly, you know, what misery is mine, I like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard and there's no cluster of grapes to eat. There's no early figs I crave. So he's sort of got this language of no figs, the sign of judgment. Okay? Is it starting to make sense? So the puzzle piece is starting to connect what Jesus is doing. But at the same time too, Figs are a symbol of judgment. And if my clicker will work. Also a sign of wealth. Okay, so on one hand, no figs, sign of judgment. On the other hand, figs are a sign of blessing. In fact, the Jews believe that the fig tree was actually the the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what they believed. And they believed that One day, when the Messiah came, that he would bring this abundant harvest with figs. Figs are a sign of wealth and prosperity. And so here you've got this fig tree that's not producing fruit because it's not the season. Okay, there is the bread of our sandwich. And we move forward. When Jesus actually gets into The chief priests and the teachers of the Lord heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Here's a chance for some sugar hit. Was selling merchandise wrong? Full stop. Was it doing it was wrong? What's the quote? No? No? No. Oh, there you go. No. So what's the problem? Why is Jesus so angry? Why is he so angry? the temple. Oh, there you go. More sugar for grozy. Make sure you share them. I don't want to produce cavities. Okay, so what was cool? So this is where the Mount of Olives and Zechariah 14 comes into play. On the Mount of Olives, there was four markets that a pilgrim could come along and buy what they needed. Buy animals, buy a dove, buy oils or wine or whatever you needed for sacrifice. If you're traveling across the countryside, you can't bring animals with you. So these markets were really, really important. And according to history, there was four of them on the Mount of Olives. But... The Mount of Olives markets were controlled by a group called the Sanhedrin. Have you heard of that before? The Sanhedrin. Now, there's a problem here. The Sanhedrin controlled those four markets on the Mount of Olives, not the high priest. And that high priest at the time was a man called Caiaphas. And at Jesus' um, uh, trial, we learn a little bit about Caiaphas. So Caiaphas had just introduced a rival market here in the temple courts. This is why Jesus is so angry. Because there was the outer courts where the Gentiles could go and worship. Then there was the inner courts where those who were Jewish could come in and pray and worship. The point of the temple was for all the nations to come and to worship by having the merchants there selling their goods in, in rival opposition to the Mount of Olives, they're actually preventing Gentiles from worshipping. They're preventing the temple from fulfilling its purpose. And Jesus here, he takes on the role of, one of like a prophet like Jeremiah and starts throwing off tables, getting rid of the money changers. He's stopping those from selling merchandise, from operating. Now, in Zechariah chapter 14, at the very end the chapter, oops. Oh, actually, we should have had that one up there. That would have been helpful. The very end of chapter 14, we're told, and this is why it was important to kind of get the background of Zechariah. On that day... Holy to the Lord will be inscribed at the bells of the horses and on the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like sacred bowls in the front altar. Every pot in Jerusalem, Judah will be holy to the Lord and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day, there will no longer be, this is a bit of a tricky word, a Canaanite, but can also be translated as a merchant in the house of the Lord Almighty. Starting to see some of the connections here. What's happening? That Jesus, by cleansing the temple, he's stopping this wicked practice from happening, stopping the the Gentiles from worshipping Yahweh as a house of prayer. But Also, he's pointing to this deep, deep theology here that there's not going to be any merchants. There's not going to be any traders in the house of the Lord. Because he's pointing to a day where it seems like these random things, like, okay, I don't really care about the bells or the horses or the cooking pots. They're saying Jerusalem will be transformed completely and utterly. Even the most lowly of lowly items will become holy. Does that remind us of a book at the end of our Bibles? Book of Revelation? New heavens and new earth? This is what Jesus is pointing to. So in cursing the fig tree, showing like how, they're under judgment. Israelites haven't been fruitful, they haven't been good in season. He's placed judgment on the temple, saying it's not fulfilling its role. And he's pointing to something deeper. So, I mean, you got to, to understand the gospels, you've got to understand your Old Testament. And then there's that um, famous reference that Jesus uses when he says to the people. He says, um, I'll read it out here. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. And he quotes from Jeremiah seven twelve. 12. And Isaiah 56, 7 says, I say, these foreigners I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house, we call it a house of prayer for all nations. Those that were unworthy of coming in. Isaiah says, hey, these foreigners, they're going to come. They come to the holy mountain. That's where the temple is. And they're going to give them joy in the house of prayer. And what's actually really cool too in Isaiah 56, he talks about eunuchs, people that weren't even allowed to serve as priests. They're going to be allowed to come in. Basically, so Isaiah saying there's going to be a time where everyone can come to the temple, to Jerusalem. Just saying, you by putting in these markets, you're preventing that. And then the second quote, he riffs off. It's from Jeremiah. But you have made it a den of robbers. And Jeremiah seven, it's this damning condemnation against the temple. The people there are saying. In the beginning of Jeremiah, he quotes the people saying, "We are in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord. The house of the Lord. This will never fall down as long as the temple is standing." God will never do anything to us. And Jeremiah is saying here, And then, Come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, We are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Now go to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people. Israel. And by that little quote, you've made a den of robbers. Jesus saying, hey, think of what Jeremiah said. That place in Shiloh, where the first dwelling was there, it's gone. Now, Jesus saying, by extension, so is the temple. By cursing the fig tree? Jesus placed a curse on Israel, on the old covenant. Oh, he's placed a judgment upon them. By cleansing the temple, he has done the same thing. Thing he's saying this old system, it's gone. And it's going to be replaced with something new, and that's where we get to the back part of the sandwich. The very next day, Mark eleven nineteen. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God. Jesus answered, Truly, I tell you. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. All right, here's a chance for some more lollies. Okay. What are the mountains that Jesus has been standing on? So, what two mountains? Olives. Yes. Is he going to make it? And what's the other? Oh, sorry. And what's the other mountain? Where's the other mountain he's been standing on? Hey, Peter. Temple. Standing on the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount Zion. So, when Jesus saying. Hey, you know, if you say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, do you think he's saying, as I did as a kid, if you can believe, you'll be like a Jedi and you can lift up? Oh. He's talking about removing the old order of things. Now, I didn't read that quote from Zechariah 14, verse 4. But in Zechariah 14:4, 4, I'll read it out. I won't flick back. But it says here, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half the mountain moving north and half moving south. Now, apocalyptic imagery in Zechariah about splitting mountains it's a metaphor, a way to describe symbolically what God's going to do. Now, think about disruptions in the Bible. What's an event where a natural disaster—I use natural disaster in inverted commas—brought salvation for the Israelites? In the Red Sea, yeah. So, by saying to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, and there's a bit of debate—is he talking about the temple, picking, saying you know you're going to remove the temple, or is he referring back to Zechariah 14 about splitting? the olives, Mount of Olives, to bring salvation. The point is, Jesus is saying, if you say this mountain be cast into the sea, that leads to my second question. What does the sea normally represent in the Bible? Chaos. Who said that? Oh, there you go. Chaos. Evil. So, so Jesus is saying, if you say this mountain be cast into the sea, this place of evil and chaos, he's saying about destroying the old order of things about bringing in something new. And then Jesus does something truly remarkable because what's been the point of all those people going to those markets to buy animals for? What have they been doing? Sacrifice. And what's the point of a sacrifice for the forgiveness of what? And now Jesus saying, Hey, therefore I tell you whatever you ask for, in prayer, believe you receive received it and it will be yours. And when you stand there praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. It's no longer about the temple. It's about, well, not about me, about Jesus. Jesus saying, hey, it's about me. I am the temple. I'm bringing in a new order of things. So just to summarize all of that, oh, I've got 20 seconds left on my countdown. <laughs> Cursing the fig tree, it's it's an acted parable of Israel slash Jerusalem's fall. Okay, that's what Jesus was doing. He's using his real-life hunger to tell a point. Cleansing the temple, it's another acted parable of judgment against the temple. And riffing off that, Zechariah 14 foretold that one day Jerusalem will be holy and not need merchants. Lastly, casting the mountain into the sea is faith that God will bring his kingdom. In that 20 minutes or so of teaching, I hope that some of you will have more confidence now in your Bibles, that some of these tricky passages actually have a lot of meaning, a lot of depth behind them. And you can take this sandwich structure of Mark and you can see it in a number of places. Mark does this a lot. But for me, when I, the more I study this, the more I, I dig deeper into this, I see that it is truly about Jesus bringing a new order, about removing the old order, about bringing life so that people like myself and I am a Gentile, can come to the house of prayer and in the image of the prophets to stream up to Mount Zion and their worship. To live in that city where even the most mundane of cooking pots becomes holy. where there's no need for merchants because there's no need for sacrifices. There's no need for the old order of things because God has bought salvation. He has split the Mount of Olives, made a way for us to receive salvation. Friends, let me pray for us. And Lord, as we've just spent some time unpacking your Word, we just see the depth and beauty of it. And in many ways, we may just scratch the surface of what is in there, Lord. But Lord, as yeah, Jesus, you curse that fig tree as a sign of the judgment against Jerusalem and the nation of Israel and against the temple. Lord, we thank you that you are the temple and that you have baptized us with the Holy Spirit. So each and every one of us, when we gather here on a Sunday morning, We gather as living stones of your temple. Because one day when you return, we'll be in that new Jerusalem. where We can walk up into the city, a city which is holy and perfect. And live in a world with no more pain, suffering and tears. And so Lord, I just pray that we can just grow a deeper love for your word. And a deeper love for you and what you've done for us through your son. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.